Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. You see, I love traveling. I love everything about it. I love the planning. I love the process. I love everything about getting ready to travel and go on a journey. But what I really, really love is flying and airports. There's just something about airports that's so fascinating to me. Like, I I think that it's so interesting. Uh, When you go into an airport, it's almost like, it's like a, it's like an aquarium for humans, right? There's all of these different cultures and, and people in this confined space, and they're like mingling around each other. And when you're in an airport, you can see so many different types of people, right? There's, there's like the happy people. These people are just glad to be alive. They, it could be three o'clock in the morning, they haven't slept for 27 hours, and they still have a smile on their face. You know exactly who I'm talking about. And then there's the sleepy people, and these people are almost on the exact end of the spectrum, like opposite end of the spectrum, because these people at two o'clock in the afternoon are still going to be like curled up over in the corner with a jacket pulled over their head, just trying to catch a little bit of sleep. Then there's there's what I'll call the business people. Now, these people want you to think that they're important. They have their Bluetooth, like, AirPods in, and, and they're pacing back and forth, and they're trying to act all important. They want to close that deal before they board the plane. Then there's a group of people that I empathize with. This is the parents with small kids, right? We've seen these people before, and their kids are, like, running around the chairs and knocking things over. The parents are just trying to contain and entertain their kids at the same time, and I empathize with them so much. And then there's one other type of person I want to talk about. Now, they're not as easy to spot in the airport, but as soon as you get on the plane, you know exactly who they are. I'm talking about the nervous flyer. Now, the nervous flyer, you can see them because they're like clenching the armrests extra tight. They're a little more pale than the person sitting next to them. They have sweat beating up on their forehead, and they're praying under their breath. And I mean, I totally get it. Like, they are, are literally, check this picture out, they are getting onto a metal tube that is bigger than their house, right? It's bigger than their house. It's flying over 35,000 feet in the air, more than 500 miles an hour. It makes sense that they have some nerves and some questions and maybe some concerns about what's happening while they're on this thing. I have some friends that are like this, and maybe that's you this morning, and you're a nervous flyer. And as I've talked to them about why they're nervous, it's not necessarily, and this is not true of everyone, but it's not necessarily that they're nervous of flying. It's that they're nervous of the idea of, like, falling out of the sky. I, I get it, except you're more likely to die being struck by lightning in a car during an earthquake than you are in a plane crash. I don't know if you believe that or not, but I just totally made it up. But the point is, is made, right? It doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to be rational. Like we have these moments where we have questions and concerns and even doubts about what is happening around us. And maybe you found yourself in that moment at times where you look around and, and everyone seems so comfortable with the situation. They seem so like just at ease with what's going on. And on the inside, you're like, no, I, ha- I have questions. Like, I need answers. Hey, hey, Mr. Pilot Man, um, are you sure? 
Like, are you sure this plane's gonna get us to where we're gonna go? Ah, could you explain to me one more time, how does it float in the air? Like, I don't really get it. Hey, hey, Mr. Pilot, how many classes and trainings did you have to go through before flying with us today? So many questions. And when we are the one with the questions and the concerns and the doubts, it can be rather unnerving, especially when we feel like there are more questions than there are answers. This shows up in a variety of ways. Maybe for you, it's at work and your boss or your supervisor just laid out a new strategy for sales for the next quarter and and you're like, I have some obvious questions that you did not answer, but you look around at your coworkers and everyone's nodding in agreement and you don't wanna stick out and so you're like, okay, I'll I'll just jump on board. Or maybe you've been sitting in a classroom before and and your professor just explained the theory of relativity. (laughs) I don't even know what that is, right? Like, I literally have no idea what the theory of relativity is. And if someone explained it to me, I still wouldn't understand it. And I would have some questions. And you're sitting there, and your professor says, hey, anybody have any questions? And you're about to raise your hand, and you look around the room, and no one else is moving. Everyone else feels comfortable. They look so normal. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. You don't want to stick out, so you just stay quiet. And no place makes us feel more uncomfortable about asking questions and voicing our doubts than this place, the church, right? Because when we're allowed to gather together in the same room, you look around and, and everybody knows all the words to the songs. They know when to stand up. They know when to sit down. They always have a smile on their face. It's like their lives are perfectly manicured and put together. And when they walk in on a Sunday morning, everybody's just happy. It feels like everything is together. They speak a special language. They take notes in their journal. They have the Bible app on their phone. And I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to be the person that, that has some doubts I don't want to be known as the person always asking questions. And and so we often just choose to be quiet. And we do one of two things. We either hide our doubts, right? We we like put them behind us. We close them behind a closed door. And and we just pretend like they're not there whenever we're around other people. We're just going to keep those questions and doubts to ourselves, And it doesn't make them go away on the inside. But hopefully it makes us fit in a little better on the outside. Or maybe even worse, we choose to hide behind our doubts. We take our questions, our uncertainty, our concerns, and we put it out in front of us, and we just choose to let it create distance between us and whatever we have doubts about. We we take a step back, we choose not to engage. And I want you to hear this this morning. Doubts are okay. Doubts are okay, but don't let your doubt become a dead end. Don't let doubt become a dead end because if we're not careful, what happens is our doubts begin to speak for us. They begin to define how how we see ourselves when we look in the mirror. It defines how the people around us see us. They see us as the skeptic. They see us as the person always asking questions, never satisfied with our situation. And our doubts begin to define us and speak for us. But what we should be doing, and what I want to talk about this morning, is we should embrace our doubts. We should lean into our doubts. We should own our doubts and move forward towards what we believe to be true. 
I want to look at this quote this morning from Donald Miller. It's from his book, Scary Close. He says, to have intimate relationships, you have to show people who you really are. We have to know ourselves to truly be known. We have to know ourselves first before the people around us can know us. And so maybe, maybe the next right step is exposing what's going on on the inside of you. First to yourself, being honest about your doubts and your concerns and your questions. And then maybe it's time to be vulnerable to the people around you. And, and why? Why did we even learn that hiding our doubts was a good thing? Like when did we develop that behavior? I think for some of us, our, our parents or our grandparents told us, hey, this is the truth. This is what you're going to believe. And, and we felt like there wasn't any room to question I know that this was my story. Like, my parents loved me. They were people of faith, and they pointed me towards Jesus, but there were a lot of times where I felt like I was told, hey, this is the truth, and, and I felt like I just needed to get in line and keep my questions to myself. I think also sometimes we, we imagine this God that looks down on us, and he sees everything that we're doing, and, and we're convinced that if we have questions, if we have doubts, that God's going to be mad at us. And he's going to strike us with lightning while driving a car in an earthquake, or he's going to cause our plane to fall out of the sky. And we don't want that to happen, and so we hide our doubts. We keep our questions to ourselves because we don't want God to be mad at us. Or maybe you're worried that you're going to disappoint someone. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a close friend, your spouse, your family. You don't want to disappoint them if they knew what was going on on the inside. You feel like they wouldn't treat you the same way or see you the same way or maybe you're disappointed in yourself because you feel like I should I should already have some answers I shouldn't still be fighting this fight I shouldn't be going around this mountain again I keep running into the same wall over and over and over and I feel like I should have arrived by now and this probably isn't news to you but keeping quiet about your doubts, keeping quiet about your questions and your concerns, it doesn't help you find answers. And it definitely doesn't make those doubts go away. But what if we began to believe this morning that doubt is not necessarily a bad thing? Everybody has doubts at some point. The question is whether or not they're honest about it. The question is whether or not they choose to engage those doubts and those questions. But everybody struggles with them. I struggle with them. But if they're not necessarily bad and everyone else has them, I think it's also important for us to know that they're not new. Doubts and questions have been around for a long time. In fact, there are so many people in this collection of stories that we call the Bible that saw Jesus they interacted with him, they had conversations with him, they, they saw his ministry, they listened to his teaching, they were around when he performed miracles, and they still had questions and doubts. And if those people can have questions, if those people can have doubts, then I would say we're in pretty good company. And so we're going to look at an example of that this morning, and it's, it's a pretty extreme example. And it's, it's a story written by this guy named Mark. And Mark is one of Jesus' disciples, which is a fancy word for like a loyal follower, devoted follower. And he tells this story about this time where Jesus had been away with some friends and, and he's coming back to like a larger group of people. And there's some disciples and there's some religious leaders and they're having an argument 
And as Jesus approaches, he's trying to figure out what's going on. We're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 16. It says this, What are you arguing with them about? This is Jesus talking, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. This is like something straight out of a scary movie or a horror film, right? We know based on what the dad is telling us, there is, there's this boy who can't speak, who is being thrown to the ground. He's lost control of his movement, and the dad just wants help. He came to the disciples first. They didn't seem to be able to do anything, and now he's here, and Jesus has entered into the conversation, and the dad just wants something to be done to help his son. Now, we don't know why today. Why this moment? Like, why did the dad decide to come forward now with his son? Was it because he had heard that Jesus had healed other people and had helped other people, that he had intersected with their story? Was it because he was at the end of his rope and he didn't have any other options? He had already tried to figure out what to do and how to help his son and where to go. Here's what we know. He's desperate and he's meeting with Jesus And so the dad and Jesus have a conversation, and then we continue and pick it back up. In verse 20, it says this, so they brought him, this is the son, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. I want to look at this last part, if you can do anything. If you can do anything, the dad is standing here, and he, he, he makes this statement, if you can do anything, he's looking at Jesus, okay? Like, this is not theoretical Jesus, or metaphorical Jesus, or theological Jesus. This is man Jesus in the flesh and blood. The creator of the universe is standing here having a conversation with his dad. And at this point in Jesus' life, he had already calmed the raging seas. He had walked on water. He had healed incurable diseases. He had raised a girl from life, from death to life, simply by speaking a word. Jesus can, more than capable, of healing this little boy. But in this moment, the dad says, if you can. Maybe, maybe it was the emotion of the situation and the dad forgot who he was talking to. I, I think if I had been standing there, even if I had questions, even if I had some doubts, I'm pretty sure I would have faked it. Pretty sure I would have just been like, yeah, of course, Jesus, you can take care of this. Like, I don't want to be the person to look at Jesus and be like, hey, I'm, I'm not really sure that you can handle this. But I love what's happening here because the dad chooses to be honest and to be vulnerable about where he is, about what's going on on the inside. He chooses to own his questions, and he's like, hey, I don't have the answers. I've tried a lot of different things, and I'm I'm here, and I'm not sure what this is going to do. I'm not sure what's about to happen, but if you could do something, so beautiful. And so how does Jesus respond? Does Jesus, like, push back and be like, who do you think you are questioning whether or not I can do this? Does he, like, strike him with lightning or walk away? No. Jesus stops in that moment and he looks the dad in the eye and he repeats the words back to the dad, if you can. And I don't think he's doing this to demean the dad or to be condescending. 
I think he's doing this in this moment with this dad to say, hey, I hear you. I see you. I'm here in your question, in your doubts. I hear what's going on inside of you. And he responds so beautifully like this in the next verse, verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And so, of course, the dad responds, no, 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 Jesus, that's not, that's not what I meant. Like, of course I believe. Like, Jesus, yes, you just said it's possible if I believe. Like, I get it. I totally believe, God. I didn't, I didn't mean you couldn't do this. No, actually, what the dad does is he doubles down on his doubt. He, he goes all in and he shows his vulnerability. He shows his, his honesty in his heart. Jesus just said, hey, anything's possible for one who believes. And the dad responds like this in verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is a really interesting choice of words from the dad, right? Like, I, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I, I believe, but I don't. Like, I want to believe, but I still have questions. I want to have faith, but I still have doubts. I think if we're honest and we slow down for a minute this morning, we can relate to this dad when it comes to our faith. That we feel stuck somewhere between faith and doubt, somewhere between belief and unbelief, that there's this tension that exists it's like, I want to believe this is true, but I'm not sure where I'm at today. I struggle with this. When I read certain verses, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good, but am I seeing that? I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's a beautiful promise. It's beautiful hope, but here's the problem. I see me. When I look in the mirror, I see me, and there's still some old in me. Typically comes out when I'm in traffic, but there's still some old in me. This verse is still in progress in my life, and so yes, I want to believe, but I struggle with it sometimes. Here's another one. John 8, 36 says this, so if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. And yet, I don't know about you, sometimes I still feel bound by things in my life. Does it mean it's not true? No. But what does it look like in my life? I don't know. Sometimes I struggle between belief and unbelief, between faith and doubt. My daughter, Landry, she's my oldest. She's four and a half. And she's starting to ask some of these questions about God. The other day, we were laying in bed and she asked me the question. She's like, Dad, Daddy. She doesn't call me Dad. That would be weird. Um, Daddy, where where did God come from? Of course, my immediate response was, go ask your mother, right? But I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, and everything inside of me, honestly, wanted to be like, baby, you're four. Can't you just believe? Like, God's always been there. Do you really have to start processing through this and struggling with asking these questions now? But then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, this is, this is the mystery, Right? This is the journey that we have been invited to, that we are still on. 
And yes, she's four and a half, but she's beginning to ask these questions and I don't want to stifle or to squash her curiosity. I don't wanna like press that away and say, hey, don't ask those questions. This is what you need to believe. I want to encourage and support her in her journey for figuring out where did God come from? What does the Bible have to say about me and my life and my existence and this faith that we have devoted ourselves to? And here's why I'm okay with that, because I know that as she pursues that, she's going to find truth. She's going to find out who God is. She's going to find out what the Bible has to say. She's going to discover what a personal relationship with him looks like. But she needs to go on that journey, and certainly I will be there to answer questions along the way, but I don't want to be the one to dictate to her and tell her this is what you have to choose, what you have to believe, because that's, that's the journey that we're on. That's the journey that you and I are dealing with right now as we walk every single day. Ultimately, here's what I think it comes down to. We've convinced ourselves that faith and doubt are opposites, right? That they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. You have your faith on one hand and you have your doubt in the other. And first, I would say I just, I don't believe that that's true. I believe that faith and unbelief are on opposite ends of the spectrum, And that doubt is the thing in the middle that either pushes us towards unbelief or it pushes us towards faith. But because we've convinced ourselves that these two things are at odds with each other, that they're at war with each other, they can't possibly work together. I'll demonstrate it like this. We would say that hot is the opposite of cold. We would, I think you would agree with me that big is the opposite of small, that tall is the opposite of short, that the astros are the opposite of honest. Oh, No, 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 come back, please. I was just kidding, okay? I just, I miss sports a lot, and I wanted to throw a reference in there, but I know some of y'all just clicked off of our stream, so hopefully you'll come back, okay? I'm totally kidding. But there are things that we would say are complete opposites of each other, right? We would say that water is the opposite of fire. But is that always true? I mean, water puts out fire, so it makes sense that you would think the two can't coexist, except, have you ever seen a grease fire? What happens when you add water to a grease fire? It strengthens the fire. It intensifies the fire. And I think that the same can be true about our faith, that we've convinced ourselves that faith and doubt can't possibly work together. But what if, what if we began to own our doubt and we realize that doubt is actually the thing in the middle that moves us either towards unbelief or towards faith. If we own our doubt, it can actually lead to strengthening your faith. Owning your doubt can lead to strengthening your faith. And as the dad is standing there with Jesus, his faith brought him to Jesus, but his doubt started the conversation. It's easy for us to say, oh, the dad knew what he should have said. God, I've seen you perform miracles. Jesus, I've watched from afar. I've listened to your teaching. I know that you can handle this. Like most people would say that's what he should have said in that moment. But the dad was honest. He was vulnerable with Jesus in what probably would scare a lot of people away. But I love it because Jesus embraced it. Jesus engaged in the conversation with the dad. He not only respected, but he appreciated the dad's honesty and vulnerability, and he healed his son. This is the part of the story I think is complicated, because 
for so many, myself included, we see unanswered prayers. We see things where God didn't move how we thought that he would or that he should, that he didn't move in a way that we believe is consistent with his character. And so we get confused and we get frustrated because it's like you said anything is possible for one who believes, and yet we see all of our unanswered prayers. This was my story. When I was 21 or 22, my grandmother got diagnosed with stage four cancer, and it was heartbreaking. Like, I loved her so much. We had such a a special relationship with each other. And at the same time as it being heartbreaking, like, I, I just had, I had this faith, I had this hope, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I believed and trusted that God would heal her, and I read stories like Mark chapter nine, and believed that God could heal her, and he didn't, and she died about six months later, and it wrecked me. I had so many questions, so many doubts, so much uncertainty in my heart and in my mind, not knowing what to believe or what was true or which way was up, and I wish that I could stand here this morning and I could tell you that there was just this moment where the clouds parted and I had clarity and everything made sense. But it didn't come. But here's what I did discover. My faith and my doubt can coexist. That if I will let it, my doubts can actually strengthen and grow my faith. And so rather than avoiding the tension, I should embrace the tension. I don't know your story. I can't possibly sit here today and understand all the unanswered prayers or have an answer for every question that you have or know what you've walked through that got you to this moment. But here's what I do know. There is a stronger faith and a loving God on the other side of you embracing your doubts. Hebrews 11.1 says this. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things that we cannot see. We won't always be able to see it. We're not always gonna have the answers. It may not always make sense, but real faith is the willingness to take a step towards Jesus even when we can't feel it, we, we can't explain it, we can't see it. And so what does that look like practically for us today? I wanna give you three quick things as we wrap up. Here's the first thing that I think you need to do. Stop ignoring your doubts. You gotta be honest. You gotta be real about where you are and what's going on on the inside of you. Don't hide your doubts. Don't hide behind your doubts. Be honest, be vulnerable, speak up. Stop ignoring your doubts. I wanna challenge you today. You can pull out your phone, you can get a piece of paper, you can do it in a journal. I want you to write down two or three things that you have questions about. Things that maybe there's some uncertainty or there's some doubt. I think it's important for us to begin to be honest and vulnerable about these things. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just enough for us to be real with ourselves. We have to be real with the people around us. And here's the second thing. Be honest with one other person about your doubts. This may be your spouse or your parents. It may be a coworker, a friend. It may be your small group leader, someone here at the church. When you begin to be honest with yourself, I want you then to begin to be honest with someone else and let them into your story, let them know what's going on on the inside. And I'm convinced you're gonna be really, really surprised when you discover that they too 
have been dealing with questions and with doubts, quite possibly the exact same things that you've been dealing with. And then here's the last thing. Let doubt grow your faith. You have a choice to make. Because if doubt is the thing in the middle that can move us towards unbelief or towards faith, let doubt move you towards faith. Let your doubt grow. Let your doubt strengthen your faith, just like water on a grease fire, where it can intensify and strengthen what's going on on the inside of you. Let your doubt do that for you. Here's the reality. Doubts rarely go away on their own. We have to lean in. We have to be honest. We have to speak up about what's going on on the inside of us. But we then begin to realize that everyone has doubts. I have doubts. Your spouse has doubts. Your friends and your family at some point have doubts and have questions. And so the question is not whether or not you're going to doubt. The question is what are you going to do with your doubt? Because you can't pitch a tent and just hang out in your doubt. You need to take a step towards faith. And here is the beauty of all of this. I think perhaps the most amazing part of this story with Jesus and the dad, the redemption for you and I, is that even if we have convinced ourselves that when we are vocal and honest about our doubts that it pushes us away from God, Jesus did the exact opposite. He embraced the dad and brought him closer. Because there is a God that is for you. There is a God that is with you. He is in front of us and behind us and beside us and within us. He is for us. He desires relationship with us. And that's my hope for you today. My hope for you as you're watching this is that you will embrace and be honest about your doubts and that you'll take a step towards Jesus. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.